Coffee Time Wednesdays with uh, the Prairie Farm Podcast. Can't hit us with the jingle. Welcome back to the Prairie Farm Podcast presented by Hawks and Native Seeds. It's your favorite 15 minutes of your week, possibly our worst, least favorite. Guys, we're, we've been busy. We've been so busy. We haven't even had... I'm, I'm recording in a guest bedroom closet of a friend's house right now. That's how busy Ken and I have been and <laughs> trying to get these podcasts in. And that's how dedicated we are to getting them to you. We've been so busy. We haven't even had time to get Peyton in on any of these. And, and honestly, I'm genuinely bummed about it. I'm, I, I'm yeah, bummed. Yeah, we miss Peyton on the podcast. Man. So thanks for joining us. Uh, Ken, where were you all day? I was on a field trip, and it's going to be – that's what my topic's going to be about. I was originally going to talk about grizzly bears. Now's your chance to be disappointed, everyone. Um, but I will talk about grizzly bears next week. Um, but I was at a prairie remnant uh, field day for the North American Prairie Conference, which uh, is in Iowa this year for the first time in, I think they said, 13 years was the yeah. last time they had it here. And, and we had um, there's like 625 or something people um, register for the conference, and and total I think there's a little under a thousand people involved. Um, just really cool, really cool. We were there all day Monday, got to hang out, learn from some of the coolest people you've ever heard of. A bunch of people you've heard on our podcast. Um, Tabitha Panis was there. Chris Helzer was there. Laura Walter was there. Laura Walter's boss, Laura Jackson, who we're going to try and convince jump on our podcast spoke. Um, and a lot of other really cool people that hopefully you will actually hear soon on the podcast. It was a really awesome event. Yeah. Uh, it was one of those things where, you know, that, I mean, you look around the room, it's just like anywhere you can tell everyone's got slightly different interests and, and uh, ways that they do life, but um, we all come together around prairie, and yeah, uh, I think that's I think that's pretty special to you know every once in a while. I don't think it's good to be only with like-minded people all of the time. I think that's how growth stops and a mm. false perspective as to how the world works is born is when all you do is hang out with people that think the way you do. Um, but every now and then you definitely should. And, yeah, uh, helps it's you, refreshing. It helps you see the vision. Helps right. you, it, re, it reminds you why you stay late at work or get up early or, you know, are riding through a field that could not be any bumpier to play <laughs> prayer. You know, it's just yep. it, it, those moments. And, but so we actually just, coincidentally and there was like a hundred tables in this room that we just coincidentally sat at the same table as chris helzer and yeah, we were chatting cool. with them yeah yeah we were, we were chatting with them and and something he said because we were naming off people that we knew that he also knew and just like connecting over it and i said yeah it's crazy how small of a world uh the prairie world is and he was like yeah it's a little sad isn't it and i was like yeah i guess that is kind of sad the fact that you know most prairie people know most other prairie people and we've most prairie people have read most of the prairie books and yeah, it's just that part's a little sad, but I guess this is the most people they've ever had at this conference. There were a lot of really influential people there that were, um, that were, you know, just 
just putting their support, weren't even like keynote speakers, just putting their support behind what was going on. I thought that was really cool. But uh, so we thought we would each bring a topic from the Prairie, uh, North America Prairie Conference. And uh, Kent, what do you got? Yeah, so I'm going to talk about remnants because that's where I've been hanging out all day. Prairie remnants is what we're talking about here. So you've heard Nick and I throw the stat around that 99.9%, literally that. Not the, you know, we always use that that statistic in exaggerated form ever since we're like, you know, the, at the age where we can understand percentages. You know, you'd be like, 99.9% of the time you lie to me. You know, like and we scream at our sibling or whatever. In this case, 99.9% is not an exaggerated figure. Yeah. It is the actual number. It is rounding down. It is rounding <laughs> yeah, down. Yeah, it probably is. And it's 99.9% of all of Iowa's original prairie is gone. Now, I have stated this inaccurately in the past, and I've, I've clarified that since, but I want to clarify it again. That doesn't mean that now only 0.1% of Iowa's surface area is prairie because we have people like Carol that have been uh, planting, you know, reconstructed prairies since the 80s. So we, you know, I don't, I'm not sure when you factor in all of the CRP acres and all of uh, the backyard pollinator plots and people have, you know, different things going on in their properties that constitute as part of a prairie plus all the remnant prairie. I don't know what that percentage exactly be. It's not going to be great, but it, it's definitely a lot better than 0.1% of, of, uh, the surface area. So, so, uh, I think point, so that in Tom's talk there, he said like 7% yeah, or something or 9%. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. It'd be something that I think we could probably, if we did enough digging, probably a couple hours worth of digging, um, we could we could maybe find that value. Yeah, but, but the main that, thing that, that makes you wonder, like, how what percentage of those quote unquote prairie acres are just brome because they weren't taken care of? You know. Well, yeah, that's the thing is a lot of them are going to be probably pretty poor quality prairie um, because it's going to say on the you know the FSA notes that that guy has you know however many acres of crp prairie and if it just hasn't been well managed or the seed didn't take well or just was already had a ton of invasive problems um yeah you're right it might not be a very good prairie at all but the the main thing i want to focus on though are those remnant prairies those original the those prairies original to the state that 0.1 percent that is a, a totally accurate number 99.9% gone. Wow. But the good news is, I just saw a poster today. The poster looked a little dated, but I imagine it's probably true. All 99 counties in Iowa, thanks again, Kasuth County, for not splitting in half and giving us a nice even 100. But anyways, <laughs> uh, <laughs> they were featured in one of the presentations yesterday, by the way. But uh, it was in Tom's presentation. The, Kent's the last bitter. One. He's but uh, anyways, the uh, all 99 counties in Iowa um, have remnant prairie. Um, our farm here in Jasper County, uh, uh, Iowa, has some remnant prairie. Uh, another farm that we rent has some remnant on it. Um, I'm even uh, 
I even think that on the farm that my family lives on, there might be a little bit of at least a, a one remnant prairie species, but I suspect there's probably more, at least in the seed bank. And um, today we got to check out uh, at the CERA CIRA, uh grounds at um, that Grinnell College manages. Um, they have some remnant prairie there. And then, uh, so we got to go check that out. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of like a special access thing that went along with the North American Prairie Conference this week. And then. We actually, Hawks and Native Seeds sold seed to an area near that remnant prairie. Part of the reason was they had to get it as closely locally sourced as they could, but they also weren't willing to put. So it was like, it was like an area next to it that they needed prairie down and it wasn't very big. It was less than a quarter acre, but they needed, um, they wouldn't get any species that were already in the remnant. They would only get species mm. that weren't in there cause they didn't want any commingling going on. Sure. No purpling. Yeah. They didn't want, they didn't want to hybridize those, those, uh, well, not really hybridize, but they didn't want to, uh, you know, taint that genetic line. That's, that's totally natural to, to that area. Uh, yeah, so interesting stuff that goes on with remnants. We also went to another remnant. This is the one that was very, very um, interesting because it is a about a 30-acre remnant. I didn't even know such a remnant existed um, in Iowa. That, that's a big, you know, that's a big remnant. Um, and actually last uh, Thursday was probably the biggest remnant I had explored uh, before today, and that was just under three acres. That was over in Davenport in a cemetery. And um, then today we went to this other one. And, uh, you know, a lot of times remnants, I think, what is it, Nick? You have to have either six or eight species identified uh, for yeah, it to classify. Yeah, I don't remember, but there, there is a, a minimum right. for it to be and like a remnant not, and, it, and it's not a very high bar. Like no. six or eight species. No. Oh, you got a remnant, and that's that's good though. I mean, that, I think that's good that they it gets people excited about preserving prairie if they ha- know they have some on their uh, place. But uh, that's kind of what I expected to see. You know, maybe one or two uh, forb species, and then a ton of grass and a ton of invasive plants. You know, sweet clover, yellow mustard, wild parsnip, all that stuff that you expect. You know, queen ants. That's what I expected to see. Now, I did see a lot of wild parsnip, but there were not many invasives in there at all um, and tons of different forbs. Uh, there was some gentian in there, which is a really, like you have an advanced prairie if you have gentian. That's what Russell Kurt has growing in his prairie. And yeah. we've heard Nick and That's I go on and on. maybe one of two places I've ever seen gentian growing. Actually, we were so impressed by Russell Kurt's gentian. We started putting it in our mixes, in our general CRP mixes. We... Uh, we're like, man, we need to get this stuff out into the world. So yeah. it, it's really cool. But it, it is hard to cultivate and develop. Yep. There was a uh, uh, remnant rough blazing star. There was a uh, remnant lead plant, remnant pale purple comb flower everywhere, remnant rattlesnake master. Um, of course, there's tons of common milkweed. There's a bunch of coreopsis. Uh, some, uh, spurge, there was some, uh, Virginia mountain mint. There was some, uh, what else did we see? 
some purple, uh, what was it called? Like purple wart or something. I, this is the first I'd ever seen it. I had never seen it before. Tons of different uh, sedges. Were there any spider warts? I did not see any spider warts. Hmm. Um, but I guess they're kind of past their bloom anyway. Yeah, but you can when you see a spider wart somewhere, you know it's a spider wart. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're so they're so uh <laughs> recognizable, I guess. There's some prairie June grass. There was um uh what else was in that remnant? Uh could you you I, wouldn't have been able to tell if it was Indian or Big Blue at that point, probably. It's very you're tough. Talking. I think I, I I I'm sure it was both, and I'm sure I saw some uh, little blue in there as well. I don't think I saw any SOG, and I think SOG is starting to get some little uh, heads on the the leaves at this point in the year on some of the plants, maybe. But um, how did was, you fare with? Uh, how did you fare with identifying them compared to all the other pros per, that were there? I would say I was at a. If there were three tiers, with um, tier one being like maybe you could identify like the easiest things, like common milkweed or uh, black-eyed Susan or something, uh, which they did have some of that there too. Um, and uh, one being like you can identify uh, flower species before they have uh, <laughs> before they have flower on them just by looking at the leaves and, and the stems and stuff. I'd say I was at I was firmly at a two. Like I could identify uh, pretty much Average. everything we we grow. Yeah, I mean I was I was. You know, I knew more than probably half the pack and less than maybe I was like at a 2.3. How many people uh, were there? Uh, there was probably 20 ish people in, in my group, maybe a little more than that, maybe closer That's to 30. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, there was uh, so much to see. There's also some round headed bush clover in there. There was um, uh, what else was in there? Of course, all kinds of asters, I'm sure, but you can't really tell what those are yet. Um, were you seeing the bees? Oh yeah. That was the other thing too. Um, I saw, I had so many different bee species on me today. I even got stung by a bee that, um, you know, it was just a different, like little tiny bee that, that, uh, you know, you would only find really in a prairie. You're not, you know, most people aren't going to see that buzzing around their, their, uh, red or white clover that's growing in their yard grass or something. You know, it's, it was, uh, it was really a just a testament to how diverse the landscape was, and um, you know they also manage their prairies uh, differently than what most people do their CRP. And if I have any criticism for the hardcore prairie people out there, and it's not just in prairie; it's anything, right? Whenever you become an expert on something, you get like these little like pet peeves you know what i mean it's like and we nick and i saw some of that flexing going on yesterday um on, on a few things and and you know it's just it's 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 a way to flex your brain muscle i know so much you know and yeah uh and then they poop on the people that are just trying their beginners right and- right right exactly so there was you know and, and and I'm not saying that this is this was the leaders of the group. I'm not singling anybody out by any means. But but uh, sometimes you know p- you could hear people being like, oh, you know, far- farmers uh, just want to burn in the spring. Everybody just wants to burn their prairie in the spring. And 
and their point, I mean, we saw data on this yesterday. I went to a I sat in on a couple of fire uh, prescribed burning sessions yesterday that talked about how the power of burning in the summer, the power of burning in the fall for diversity. But when you think about farmers, they're they're fighting two things when they burn. Cool season grasses are huge because so many of them were planted, intentionally planted to either be a part of pastures or because they were allowed in the early days of CRP when it was just called the set-aside program because they could uh, there was some kind of allowance for being able to, I think, you know, uh, harvest some of that for silage and so forth. And uh, it was it was just much more lax as to what you could plant in the early days. So they're trying to fight that, but also, and the best time to do that is a spring burn. And then the other thing is, um, in the fall, what do you have around every strip of CRP on farmland? You have dried out corn husks um, that, uh, you know, are far away from the last rain a lot of times. You know what I mean? Like it's like it's at its driest point, really. Whereas in the spring, you have snow melt that's wet the field down a little bit. You might you might even have some of those green grasses that are growing up uh, in the CRP, the cool season grasses that can provide some moisture to slow your your fire down. Whereas in the fall, if all your grass is dead and dry, plus your field is all dead and dry and you haven't had, you know, all the snow melt to kind of wet everything down and put a lot of moisture there. Um, it can be a pretty dangerous time to try and do a CRP burn, you know, in the, in the fall time. So I know there's dead corn stubble in the spring too, but it's after that's after it's been soaking in under snow and, and everything else. Whereas it's at its driest after harvest in the, in the fall really. And so I think that would be my one, you know, my one thing that if you're a prairie nerd and you're listening to this and you're hard on farmers for, for burning, only burning in the spring, try and consider those two things. And then also a lot of farmers want to hunt their CRP. You know, that's a nice little gift or they have family members or friends that do. And if uh, you're torching all your habitat in the fall, then you're not going to have that to hunt. And just also for the, the, you know, other, even if you don't hunt, it is nesting or not nesting cover, but, but security cover and, uh, um, uh, you know, a, a thermal, thermal cover as well for animals and birds going into the winter. And I know you could kind of rotate how you burn and stuff like that, but more habitat's always good going through those hardest times of the year. So I guess that'd be my one critique, but overall thoroughly enjoying the conference uh, thoroughly enjoyed the the tour today. The guides were were just excellent. Um, they super knowledgeable, super uh, nice, and uh, just the whole group of people there was really just tremendous. I thought so. That's really cool. That yeah, Kent's pet peeve is is uh, experts having pet peeves. So he's he's crapping on the pet peevers out there. Yep, that's my pet peeve. It's like watching <laughs> what, it's like watching TV on TV, you know. Back when you'd watch Arthur and then uh, Bionic Buddy would Bionic Bunny would come on. You were oh, watching Bionic man. Bunny while watching Dude, that, Arthur. You just threw me back, man. Threw me back <laughs> in my third grade chair. Dude, let's see. Let's make that makes it my turn. There were so many interesting things. Uh, let's give a couple shout outs to some things. Did you know that Let's um, give a shout out to my squeaky chair. Wow. Beautiful. 
Uh, did you know that native bees pollinate 12 times more efficiently than honeybees? That honeybees yeah, that's, uh, yeah, somebody said that. That was incredible to hear. Yeah, yeah. So it takes 12 honeybees to uh, pollinate at the same rate of one uh, native bee, which, I mean, we love honeybees. We, they, I feel like honeybees are one of the, and I don't have any data, but I feel like it's one of the species that came in and, like, wasn't – I mean, we actually – have to spend a lot of effort to keep them alive. You know, they're not just like invasive and like crapping on everything. Although I guess they do help with invasives like dandelions and stuff like that. Anyway, so that was one. There's another one that I found really interesting is were those, um, those hedgerows berms in like Germany that had been, that had like thousands of years of growth on them from back when it was lords and serfs. And, uh, and it actually created a really good ecosystem and it was man-made It was heavily man-made ecosystem. That was pretty fascinating. Um, the, uh, one of the speakers, one of the keynote speakers was really interesting. He was talking about how we can even get people to care about prairie and why farmers are doing, having better practices. And he's from California, but he was basically saying that, uh, some of the farmers are out of water or out of soil. And, but he said the main thing that he finds is that farmers are tired of their farm having no more soul. No more soul. Yeah. Anyway, that was just an honorable mention. The thing I want to talk to you about that I thought is fascinating for me because we deal with this a lot in our mixes is what ratio. We had a person talk about what ratio do you put forbs and grasses in. And all the data that he had, and he admitted that a couple of the different points of data had a pretty small uh, sample size, um, but he had many different kinds of data and, and many of it had a great sample size, uh, that the uh, 50% Forb, 50% grass was all, almost always better because if you only have Forbes, you can't keep out, um, if you only have Forbes, you have a really hard time keeping out invasives. But yeah. if you only have grasses, then your um, forbs that would normally be there to attract bees are really struggling. And so, uh, um, so your grass is like, there's no forbs there. So the bees aren't coming in as much. The pollinators aren't coming in as much. Um, but if you go too many forbs, then you start giving too much room for invasives and not Mm -hmm. having that landlock in that. Um, and there's a lot more erosion that's going to happen. So we, we tend to think, and I've been guilty of this thing, like, oh, man, 80% Forbes, that's going to be way better. Just some little blue stem and SOG yeah. and put Forbes and it's going to be way prettier. But actually, the best way to do it is to have uh, 50% Forbes, 50% grasses. And they found that more insects show up when you have 50-50. The more Forbes you get doesn't necessarily mean the more insects. And... Um, that was fascinating. So when you have a good 50-50 ratio, it actually keeps out brome really well. They were saying mm-hmm. that their border fights brome. Um, and, I, it, and it's just because it's a more well-balanced, um, a more well-balanced prairie and, and how prairie is used to interacting. So it's got all of its parts. It kind of like, reminds me of when Taylor Keene taught us about the four sister oh, yeah. uh, gardening technique that the Omaha and and many other tribes used the three sister technique, but as Taylor taught us, the Omaha's added the fourth 
species, which is the sunflowers, which serve as yeah. like a windbreak to protect the corn and and uh, beans yeah. from and, getting knocked over. But but the point being, and it keeps like, raccoons away. Was that a thing? Say it again. No, 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 no. The the squash keep raccoons away. Yeah, the, the squash yeah, keep. Yeah. yeah. So the point being, like the grass is kind of the protector in a way for uh, for uh, the Forbes. But just like, you know, I think didn't Taylor say that they only plant the uh, sunflowers, I think, on the western side of the garden because that's usually where wind comes from. Uh, Dude, that was hemispheres. episode like 15, bro. I do not remember. But but anyways, oh, if you uh if you like totally circled your garden, you know, now you might be that might be too much and it might be uh, you know, taking too much moisture mm, away or yeah, yeah. our hog in the sunlight. And it's kind of like the same way with the grasses. You know, you got to have enough because the grasses really do protect the prairie like you were saying from those invasive invaders. Yeah. And the grass allow um, fuel to burn, which is the Forbes need. You know, they need to burn. Say it again. The grasses allow what? They they allow fuel to burn. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and and the Forbes need that just as much, but they don't always have the, they don't always have the carbon. They don't have the biomass uh, to make it happen. And I got to imagine that. I mean, I know there's some some Forbes like uh, lead plant and compass plant that really send down those really deep roots, but uh, they're not as like bushy of a root system as, as a lot of the grasses are. And I got to imagine that the grasses help protect the soil a little bit better than uh, do the Forbes as well. So, you know, it's a testament and you could see this in the remnant. You could see bare soil, which is important to see, in a prairie, you might be thinking, wait, well, you want to protect your soil. You, you do. And uh, because there's so many plants there, it does protect the soil. But you need the bare soil so that new plants can start growing from one. But also those, those uh, native birds and mammals yeah. that eat the seeds on the ground, that eat the bugs on the ground. Yeah. They need to navigate through the jungle of prairie grass and flowers. They can't do turf. Right, it can't be turf, exactly. And so you can see that uh, in a good balanced prairie, too. Oh, man. Something else that I'll I'll say is an honorable mention because I haven't actually read it. I I bought a book about agriculture and Iowa's water. Just give a little just give a little preview here. Get people tantalized a little bit. Nick's gonna Nick will do a book report on this for us later. It sounds so fascinating. Well, the person, the editor who was there, and she was like trying to sell me on the book, even though she didn't know I was already planning on buying it just from like the title. Uh, what brought me to a graph in the book? And I'm going to try and to explain this well. They took areas of Iowa by population and circled them, and said, and then wrote Tokyo. I was like, okay, what what does that mean? What is Tokyo? She said all the feces that humans uh, that humans create in Tokyo per year is um, is the same amount of feces in that area that hogs create. And it was, it, it was, I mean, you're thinking like, oh, all of Iowa, Tokyo. No, Tokyo was in the state. Dallas was in the state. Um, Des Moines was in the state. I think Minneapolis was in the state. Um, London was in the state. You know, these major, major cities of the world. All, all the poop, all that poop made in all the world, Put right in our state through 
hog feces. And that's just hog feces. That's not even cattle. And I understand hog is like definitely a majority of it for us, but that's not even counting cattle. And uh, that blew my mind. And, and just think about that for our water. And I was telling dad that, and he was like, I drink that. And I said, yeah, you better change that filter on your fridge at home. Cause my goodness, it's been red blinking red for like a year. He needs to get that changed. <laughs> wow, way to, way to call out Carol there, Dick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're, we're over time. We're over time. Yeah. Ken, Ken we're excited. We still got two more days. Team. We got two, two more days of conference. I know, dude. I was pooped after Monday. Just after Monday. I was pooped. But thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget, we're sponsored by Hawks and Native Seeds. Dad pays the bills around here. And uh, till next time.